Welcome everyone to the Cardano Effect podcast, episode 13. The purpose of this podcast is to take high-level developer information and projects that are occurring within the Cardano sphere and break them down into bite-sized consumable pieces of information for everyday use. I'm your host, Philippe, and let's get this podcast started. I wanted to thank everyone for the support for the previous episode. We had a lot of great feedback, so we have a new special guest on today's episode. And once again, I'd like to remind you that Sebastian is not going to be here today. He is on a business trip, so he'll be here in a week or so. And it's just going to be Rick and I with a special guest. So keep on sending your questions to the Cardano Effect at gmail.com. Keep on putting your questions on Reddit. Keep on sending us comments in the YouTube section, contacting us on Twitter. And I see that people are following us on Facebook as well, which is wonderful. So I'm glad to hear that. And there are a lot of exciting things happening with the Cardano project. And the purpose of this podcast is to try and get different viewpoints from different sectors of what's going on within this project. So we're trying to get interviews from as many different viewpoints as possible, whether that be the developer side, whether that be the business side, whether that be the recruiting side, whatever whatever sides are, exist within Cardano, within IHK, and within Emergo as well, we're going to try to get people on to try to paint the picture as clear as possible for you. So that being said, I'd like to preface this by saying that none of what we say on this podcast is financial advice or should be taken as such. If you don't think that you're a good financial advisor, you need to find yourself someone who is qualified to do so. You know, please don't take anything as financial advice on this show. All we're doing are all we're doing here is talking about Cardano, a project that we're all passionate about. So with that being said, I am going to pass the mic over to Rick. Rick, how are you doing this morning? Hey, good morning, Philippe. I'm doing great, and thanks for the introduction. So uh, latest news in Cardano we have here is IOHK is having the summit in 2019 in Miami, Florida. It is 17 to 18 April 2019, and the announcement is that IOHK is pleased to announce the IOHK summit will be taking place April 17th and 18th this year in Miami, Miami. Florida, USA, as an industry leader in functional programming, formal verification, and proof-of-stake blockchains, IOHK will be hosting speakers, partners, and cryptocurrency experts from around the world at this two-day public event. So we hope to see you there. All right. So there's our news in Cardano. Now, today, we our special guest is Mr. David Roundtree. He's IOHK, technical recruiter. A little bit of background on him. He has a mix of agency and in-house experience in recruitment strategy and talent acquisition. Since graduating from the University of Wolverhampton, UK, with a degree in business economics, he has supported startups and multinational companies in expanding their technical and business teams. So, good morning, Dave. How are you doing today? Where are you calling in from, sir? Hi, Rick. I'm good, thank you. I'm in Ireland. All right, you're calling in from Ireland. Dublin, Ireland? Just outside Dublin. Just outside. In, 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 in the sticks, as I say. Ah, cool. Beautiful place. I had to stop through on there on my way back from Edinburgh, as uh, as well as Philippe, and it was very beautiful. It's winter time, but, you know, I bet it's a lot nicer in the summer, yeah? <laughs> it is when you, when you get some summertime here, yeah, but it's a lovely, lovely country. Ah, that's cool. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, sir? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've been in recruitment ever since I uh, – finished university I've really felt I fell into it and I really haven't found a way out of it but uh, I love it it's a, it's a passion of mine and love the, the technical side of it so I'm a technical recruiter here at IOHK helping to to build our teams and and grow us and help deliver against strategic objectives so Dave in the grand scheme of things what does a technical recruiter do what how does that differ from a just a recruiter what exactly does that entail Interesting question. Yeah, and some people in the industry have their, their own viewpoints on what a technical recruiter is. But really, for me, it, it, it is, as you'd expect from the title, understanding technology and how technology is applied to, me, to meet business objectives. I'm not going to tell you that. I have done some of my background, but it's, it's not what I do on a day-to-day basis. But my role is to connect with technical people and understand their background and experience and relevancy to roles that we recruit here at IOHK. So... In terms of the projects or the products that um, Cardano has, so we have Plutus, we have Marlow, we have Yellow, we have KEVM. Is there a specific 
product that you're that you're aligned to as a technical recruiter or are you are you recruiting for all of these everything that Cardano has to do work across the board depends where the demand is at the point in time I'm not the only technical recruiter so we do divide responsibilities up between us depending upon workload we do tend to fall into certain areas of specialism colleague of mine has picked up some more of the um, the roles on maybe Marlow and Plutus but that'd be more on Cardano and enterprise but it just depends at that point in time where the, where the need is and, and how big it is, if you know what I mean. I understand. So what's what's your strategy? How What's the most effective way to get the up-and-coming talents? I mean, I know this is a decentralized project, so it must be very difficult to contact all these different talented people from all across the world. Is there a certain conference that you go to? How do you find the talents? It was a very interesting question and in, in why we are decentralized and it opens up uh, larger talent pools across the across the world. There's always demand for the for the best talent to bring into a into a business. To always obviously work hard and try and develop pipelines of candidates who are interested in for potential future needs. But sometimes when you've got uh, urgent requirements on your on your doorstep, you need to deliver against those first and foremost. So software engineering is a very high demand field. People who are skilled in software engineering uh, there's all these companies out there competing with them. How does that affect what you do? Well, it's just always been a highly competitive competitive market. You need to try and differentiate yourself from the others. Now, sometimes people just see it as it, it comes down to money, but realistically, organizations such as IOHK, we offer so much more to projects that people are going to be working on and the difference that they're going to make, be making at the, the end result. So it's about getting that, that message across that we are different Um and we can offer something very different to, to people coming in. Anybody can go somewhere and crank some code out. But if they want to be part of something and go on a journey, that's that's really what we are offering software engineers when they come and join IOHK. Uh, so uh, what kind of qualifications should someone have that the, that's the type of person you're looking for? Would it just be a general purpose programmer who's willing to go out on an adventure? Or are you looking for specific Haskell skills still at this point? There's still specific skills at this point in time. It is really going to depend on the project need that, that comes through. We need people who have experience, who you know they've got some of the scars, they've, they've done it in the past, but of course they want to make a difference now. So we do look for experienced people. Um, we're obviously looking to build our schemes where we'd be able to offer things, uh, situations to graduates and, and schemes to help people develop, but we actually at the minute need people who can come in and make a difference from, from day one. So what's a day in the life of Dave? Like, what do you do from morning to sundown? How, how does your work schedule relate to all this? Okay, it's an interesting one, but obviously you have to, you have to you plan your day out. And of course, normally when I'm, I'm dealing with, with candidates and organizing things, you have a, a fairly tight schedule. So checking your calendars in order, um, obviously catching up with, with messages because I get them across all, all sorts of mediums and we slack across the, the business. Obviously, naturally, I have email, but then we've got social media groups. So it's just making sure people are where they should be. I'm a facilitator. That's what we're doing in recruitment, help facilitate and oil the cogs. So on one side, I've got the candidates. On the other side, I've got the, the hiring community. And it's just making sure I can, I can bring them together. So once you've identified a candidate and introduced them to the process, it's making sure that process goes as smoothly as possible, not just for the, the candidate and their experience, but also the manager and their experience. The, the time is important. So for me, it's, it's staying on top of things as much as I can, trying to get ahead of, the, of any potential problems that, that may come up, but obviously just making sure that, that people are reviewed and attend interviews and are given feedback. And of course, the correct candidates are introduced to the business. That must make for a challenging day because I could imagine you probably, let's say you get 10 resumes and then you you screen through them and five people are acceptable and then you get those uh, people together and then you present the information to a hiring manager. How many, what's the success rate? Like you screen 10 resumes, you talk to five people, then you want to get them hired. Uh, would you get one out of 10 maybe or lower? It's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of metrics around about recruitment about you should be they say you screen in 10, you get five, you get down, you get maybe you get two to interview, something like that. Um, well, I've seen the metrics and, and looked at them. If you get a good person, you know you've got a good person. So you might, you might screen two or three CVs and go, well, this is just a standout candidate. You know, The thing when you're internal and you're working with the business, you understand what the business looks for. So you get a really good feel. So when you when screen those people, there's some that, that won't be get, getting sent to the hiring community because they don't feel they've got the right blend of skills or the cultural alignment. Um, that will match what the, the business is looking for. 
So I couldn't give you hard and fast that I send five CVs on to a manager and I get three interviews out of them. It could be I send them two and we get two interviews and we want to hire both of them. And then there's a, a good decision to be made, a good problem to have. Wow. Do you have to travel a lot? Um, not as yet, not not as much, but I have a feeling that's going to going to change. We do need to expand our, our whole re- uh, recruitment um, department, and getting out and attending some workshops and work fairs and conferences is, is very much high on the agenda and spreading the word and the message about IOHK and why it's good to come and work for us. There are a lot of people that drop comments in my YouTube comment section from the beginning of when I started making videos saying that they're interested in working for IOHK. What is something that they can do to stand out? I know it's a very competitive field. You know, I see, is it is it like personal projects or a personal portfolio that could stand out for you? Or is it just like I graduated from this school, I I completed this program in Haskell, I can, I'm qualified to do this? Or are you looking for someone that maybe stepped out of the box and did something very creative? Is there anything that you can say um, regarding this? I mean, the things that definitely stand out for candidates is you could have someone who's, who's a programmer, okay, they've got a degree and they've been working for X amount of years, but it's the ones that maybe who've been involved in, in other areas and I think you said a little bit outside the box. Where a business is still growing and evolving, it's not like an IBM where you go and you're going to sit in a silo and that's that's you doing that. We like people who come in and, and can bring ideas to the table as well. Senior management is very open to that, and that's going to be a key part of how our, our business grows with people bringing ideas to the table. So certainly involvement in the open source community stands out a lot for us, but naturally we like people who have blockchain and cryptocurrency knowledge and experience. Now that could come from a user. They could be they could hold ADA, they could use a Daedalus wallet. They may hold Bitcoin or something else, but they've got an interest in it. And it's certainly, it's extra curriculum. It's the extra effort and input that they they want to they want to put into to their learning and their, their development. It's not just that I can crank some code out. But of course, there, there are other elements, not just the, the, the technical side of things. They understand the domain, as I mentioned there, but also culturally, how, how can they fit into the business? Every business wants to have the right fit. And it's got to be right from both sides. This isn't just saying you don't fit us. It, it go, do we fit you as well? Can we offer you something? And you mentioned, um, like, for example, a an engineer being in a silo at IBM and having a certain delegated role. So are you implying that the when you're recruiting and an individual comes and works for IOHK, they have a lot more creative control as to where their individual projects are going? Or is that is that too much to say? I would say the control of the project, because the, the project is, is the project. But the fact that we're, we're growing and when people come into the business, if they're bringing ideas and the close involvement, we have a fairly flat structure. So there's a lot of people are known, known to others. And if someone's coming in and brings some ideas to the table, you could find that they end up moving on to a different project or into a slightly different role. So there's evolution there for them. Um, a little bit of that comes down to the individual and the drive that they have to do that. Some people, and there's nothing wrong with it, some people like coming and doing the job that they do. And that's absolutely fine. You get that across the board. Other people come and go, well, I'm a business analyst now. I like to move into product management down the future. And that's certainly something we, we can offer as, as, the, as the business grows and we're recruiting more people and more roles become open. People can move into different areas and that may give them a responsibility on a different project. Interesting. Interesting. And then you also previously mentioned that, of course, they would have to have some kind of interest in cryptocurrency or be related in this field. So so what's your story? How did you get involved with Cardano? Such a niche project. How do you get involved with cryptocurrency in general? It's an interesting one. And unfortunately, obviously, I'm, I'm still working. So I missed the whole um, Bitcoin bubble and, and making me millions and going and sitting on me, me beach. But it, I, I was aware, of it, of course, when it, as it blew up and it stole my interest. Started looking at the whole blockchain and crypto space, trying to get my head around what it was and what it would mean. Um, then I had a contact of mine who actually started working for IOHK. So obviously, I looked at IOHK. And to be honest, I was just I was blown away by the, the, the information on the website and the story it was telling. It just captivated me. So... It wasn't just the tech side of it. It was actually, there was a vision and purpose into building Cardano and what IHK are doing and you know, what it would mean for millions around, around the world. So really, it just sort of sucked me in. So I'm, I'm not here saying I've been in it from the start and I know, I know everything inside out, but uh, it hooked me and I'm here and I'm now and I like telling the story. How did you get, I guess, did you meet Charles or how did you get involved? How did you get 
your your particular role. How, I mean, that's that's an interesting story. You're, you're the guy that hires people, right? He he's the one who hires them, and he wasn't there. So how did you get? Yeah, that well, I came in via via contact domain. I actually came in as part of the recruitment team as well. So he was he was okay. working, and he made an introduction to the HR director for me. Now, I haven't personally met met Charles yet, and. I've, the reality is because we're spread all over the place. I haven't met many people on a face-to-face basis, but I've been on a number of meetings and interviews with them. Uh, very charismatic guy, of course, and uh, love his vision. What does success mean for you for this project? Success for me? Well, I have to look from purely from a, a resourcing side. Um, it's getting the right people in place to the business to make a difference and deliver the, deliver the project. That's the, the summary from my side, of, uh, from my point of view. Without the, without the right people, we won't get the project delivered. Do you ever go to the universities and look for entry-level programmers, or uh, is it all more senior experienced personnel? We are changing our focus now. I mean, we do run schemes with with universities and have tie-ups. Um, so there's there's a lot of work going on, obviously, about us training people with regards to Haskell course, uh, Haskell programming courses as well. Um, I think as the business continues to grow, I think the business we will be able to offer more opportunities for say graduates coming in and I believe there's a, a scheme that's been discussed at the moment and, and that'll be built upon of course but the reality is when you've got a, a team there and you need to deliver the reality is can you bring someone in who has little commercial experience and to be fair is it is it fair to them because you need to dedicate the right time to onboard someone properly give them the proper tools and educate them correctly and 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 bring them on on board that way you can't just get a, a grad and drop them in a corner to right write, write me some code here's your you know, go and do some functional specifications and write me some code and they just sit and stare at you it's not fair so it doesn't work but it, it will as, the, as our business continues to grow and evolve okay i have a question regarding the iohk careers portal so if if anyone's not familiar with this portal you can go on the iohk website iohk slash careers to see what job opportunities are available and i've monitored this for the past few months and it just seems like the the demand what you what you're requiring just seems to be increasing over time and um is it is it difficult to find and fill all these positions brings its challenges with it yeah but of course but that's the the reality of the of, of the, the, the business that we're in and the role that, that i'm in um, we're a very fast moving business we've grown very very rapidly in a few years gone from a, a couple of people the co-founders up to now 140 employees across 16 countries um don't really see the growth slowing down too much. I don't think it'll spike as much as it maybe has done in the, in the past, but certainly there's, there's a challenge there to keep up with the demand. And, and as I said before, bring the right people into the business. Anybody can recruit somebody, but it's about recruiting the right person. So that's, you know, it takes time to do that. So IOHK is spread across the planet pretty far. Um, you have locations in Hong Kong, Greece, Ireland, uh, Edinburgh, the United States. Where's the greatest demand? Where do you need programmers the most? Typically, most of our functions are, are tied up around the European time zone, but that's, it's not a, a solid and fast rule. Obviously, we want to recruit the, the, the best people for opposition. So if you're talking programmers specifically, um, to a certain extent, as long as they can tie up with our daily meetings and it's not a, a crazy time in the morning for them, and then it really doesn't, doesn't matter just about getting the right person. But... For other functions that we have, we tend to have them around a European time zone, really because we're dealing with stakeholders in the APAC region and also America. So it's got to be got to be fair on the on the time zone there. But I mean, we do have people who work on projects and have come on board, and may, majority of the team may be in Europe, but I know a couple of people who work in Australia, and they they work out a way of working for them. You know, we we hire people who are who are used to working autonomously. Uh, they're self-motivated. They don't need someone watching over them and, and micromanaging. That's not that's not the style at IOHK at all. Really, it's about deliverables and, and, and achieving objectives. So, in a sense, if someone's going to write some code and someone's got a spec, they can they could write the three o'clock in the morning if it's super for them, as long as they the, the, the document it and it's all ready for for the rest of the team to pick up and be involved with. Interesting. Interesting. So that's a great response. So I just wanted to go back to something that you previously said when we were talking about the careers at IOHK. For everyone that's going to leave a cheeky comment in the comment section about, um, you know, IOHK is going to run out of money or they're not well funded and, you know, show me your paperwork and stuff like that. Just go to the IOHK.io slash careers website and see how many people they're trying to recruit. 
Now go to your other favorite cryptocurrency project and see what they're going to recruit and compare. IOHK is not running out of money anytime soon. We have recruiters on on deck that are going out and getting the best of the best and the products are being built and things are progressing. So I just wanted to leave everyone with that note. But moving forward, I wanted to ask, what is the time scale? What is your time scale as a recruiter? What is What do you feel like Cardano's time scale is in, in terms of products getting out to the masses or certain deliverables being met? What is that inflection point where you said, oh, we, we've produced the most amount of work that we're going to produce? That's a very interesting question. And I think probably one that's very hard to give you a definitive answer. I mean, they say from a, a recruitment perspective, I don't set deadlines or project deliverables. The works the other way. It comes, it comes to me. I, we need a person to fulfill this role. This is what the plan is. This is what the roadmap is. This is where we're going to get it. We want to be released by then. This is a lot of talk at the moment with regards to, to Shelley and the decentralization project and ensuring that's delivered by the end of quarter one, 2019. Um, so I don't I don't dictate those. That's the that's that senior management and the product owners and the, and the business coming together and work, working those, those out. But obviously, you want to get things out to market. But there's no there's got to be a balance here. You don't just get something to market and look at it and go, oh well, it's 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 okay. Let's get it out there and we'll sort of fix whatever bugs as we we go along because you need a good consumer experience. Of course, we're building. Uh, um, a brand here and, and as the ecosystem grows as well people want to get engaged and, and work within it but of course there's, there's the other element of it you can you can sit and polish something till the, the cows come home and not release anything because you want to make it so perfect so there's got to be a happy medium that you find between that and as I'm sitting here my lowly recruitment role I'm not sure specifically what the answer is for that but there has to be a, a tipping point that it comes to and you go that is 99% ready let's release it to market we're confident about it and we're not just putting it in market for the sake of putting it out there we have belief and confidence. We've been through all our testing processes and the development cycles are done and it's out there. Obviously, you need a lot of people because there are 21 job listings on that uh, careers portal that Philippe just mentioned to. And that's just the 21 that are out there that are highest demand. I'm, I, I'm assuming there's other jobs that are like, well, we need to fill this role, but we'll get to that one later. You know, we'll keep our ears open. Uh, that's what a lot of times people run into. Do you, you do primarily technical recruiting? Do, do you ever do non-technical, like there's jobs on there for filmographers or graphic design? Okay, now that's a good example. Like does graphic design fall under technical recruiter or is there another recruiter that takes care of that aspect? No, we're all we're, we're both technical recruiters is our, is our title, but you're right. I mean, it's interesting ones you, you, you touch upon there. We, there are a number of roles on there and I've, I've already had two or three heads up about roles that are coming up. You tend to find this this happens and um, people start talking and going, wow, we, how about this? We do this project. Okay, well, so who do we need for that? Go, Here's a heads up. We're going to be looking for X, Y, and Z. Be aware. We're going to get a, a formalized spec before we release it. But they, they, you know, the business gives us a little bit of a nod and said this is coming, they're coming down the line. With regards to the roles you mentioned there, I'm actually recruiting the, the UI UX designer position at the moment as well. I'm the filmographer, it's a film development researcher, it's a, a very interesting uh, angle that one's, that one's coming from, but uh, I, I suppose in a short response to your, your question, no, we don't just focus on technical roles because the business has a need wider than that, just typically as being an engineering company, most of our roles have a technical element to them, but you can look at other areas, uh, like you say UI, UX, um, community management will be an area that we've looked at as, as well. Um, business development, I'm sure, will, will grow and increase on that side as well. So, no, it's, there's a balance across the business. I understand. Um, there are also a lot of people that are not software engineers. They they can't develop in Haskell, but they would love to work at IOHK. They feel like they can contribute something to IOHK. They would do anything just to work at IOHK, to tell you the truth. So is there any advice that you could give to these people? I know I know that it's very early in the project and we are building the, the technical nature of IOHK, but do you see that nature changing over time towards maybe another field as products are released, as code is developed? Or do you think that IOHK and the Cardano project will always remain 100% technical in nature or mainly technical in nature 
I don't say we're going to get away from being mainly technical, but of course you talk about IOHK, which is the engineering side of the business. I mean, we've got Cardano Foundation and Emergo as well, which are part of the, the ecosystem. I'm confident that, that as, as all three businesses grow and, and the entity increases in, in size, there will be other roles that come in there. I couldn't tell you exactly what they look like at the moment because, of course, they'll, they'll be shaped as they, they come out. But we talk about some of the non-technical roles. But if, someone, if someone's technical and they want to be involved with IOHK, I, I can understand the frustration if they're sitting there going, I want to come and work for you. Give, give me a shot. Give me a chance. And look, people do get opportunities. But I think one thing that would help on that is we're, we're a fully open source business. Uh, GitHub accounts are there. Loads of information available about us. So people can start becoming a contributor on the open source projects. And we've hired a number of people who've actually been involved as contributors. And it's got to a point and we've seen the work we've done and involvement we've had. And we've had a conversation and well, look, how did you, how would you feel about this? You've been, you've been contributing, you've been having some, some input there, maybe it's on a part time or whenever you could around their, their, their other job. How about you come and work for us full time? And people are part of the business now and they've, they've been here for a good length of time. So that's probably the best thing I could say at this moment in time because we do take everybody's application seriously as well. And where there's, there's time constraints, we can't always turn around and, and give people a, a response within a day or something because of obviously what we're doing. But we do have a, a recruitment at iohk.io email address if someone's interested, if there's a role that's not on the website but they the want to register their interest for work for IOHK. They're more than welcome to send the details in and we can keep a hold of them there. And if something comes up, we can come back to them and let us have a conversation about suitability at that point in time. So even if there's a, there isn't a job description on there that fits someone's profile, it's still a good I- idea to apply in case that need arises or something. Is that what you're saying? Well, I wouldn't necessarily if, certainly send us the details, but if there's, if there's a, say for argument's sake, we don't have a product management job spec on there. I know we do have, but say for argument's sake, we didn't have. Someone could just send us an email to recruitment at iohk.io. They could contact us through LinkedIn. You know, we've got all our social media channels. So I have a number of people who contact me on LinkedIn. Say, I saw your job post, and I'm not. That's not me. This, but this is me. Are you interested? I can keep a hold of the details. We have a bit of a conversation, and I know they're there for the for future reference. But of course, what you realise as well, when people people are looking actively for a job, in a month's time when we do have a need, they might not be around because they've moved on to something else. So. Yeah. Is it okay if we put links to that uh, careers portal on this video down in the description section? Please do. And also with all these, with a lot of people, a lot of uh, cryptos or some cryptos out there, they're laying people off. Are you starting to see an influx because IOHK is hiring and there's uh, some, there's a few cryptos doing well in hiring. There's some laying them off. Are you, are you seeing an influx of applicants coming from other uh, crypto industry? An increase in number, and I'm talking to a number of people who are out of their organizations as, as well. It's an interesting one, and just to touch on the, the point uh, Philippe mentioned earlier with regards to um, the monetary element of it and the longevity of, of, of IOHK and the revenue stream. It's one of the biggest questions I'm getting at the moment from, from candidates. Um, as soon as there was a bit of a dip in the, in the crypto market and people started having a loss of a little bit of confidence, I'm going, oh, What's going to happen here now? And you're right. There's, there's a number of crypto companies out there that are laying people off. Consensus had a um, a press release there that they weren't afraid to lay people off and, and make changes to the business, and that that's fine. That's their business model. But what I can say at IOHK, we're not. Nobody's going off. And, and Charles has gone on record on on screen and said this as well. That there's nobody getting laid off from here. All we're doing, we're in growth mode. We're growing, and we've got actually a bigger story to tell than just we're here, we're a crypto company, we've done an ICO, we've, we've got a direction and vision to our business and that's what's going to get us, keep us going through this. That sounds very re- re-encouraging, especially um, since we've been in a bear market for a year plus. So that that's, that's, that's a good sign. If you're doing well in the worst of times, just imagine when things turn around. Um, so you, you touched on the Cardano Foundation and Emergo. Do you communicate with the technical recruiters over there or, I mean, mainly Emergo? I don't think there are technical recruiters for the Cardano Foundation, if I'm not mistaken. Are you all on different paths and then you converge or there's no, there's no communication as to um, who you're hiring and what direction you're going? No, no, there is there is communication. I've probably going back a little while. It, it, it's improved since then, but certainly I'm in, in close communication with the CTO de Mergo, uh, and obviously our HR director is in communication with with, with all the, the key parties as well. So yeah, we we're, we're all together in this. 
So we do have communication. We do help each other out, and that's part of being in a, in a partnership. You can do that between each other. We have an understanding of what what each business unit requires, um, and if we can help out each other, each other at that point in time, then we do. That's good to hear. That's good teamwork because if someone were to apply to IOHK and they're very talented, but you don't have a spot for them, maybe there's a spot at Emergo and you can say, hey, we could use you over there. Or maybe the Cardano Foundation would need that type of talent and then you can pass them in that direction as well. That's good to hear. I have a question for you. So what are your biggest challenges as a technical recruiter or your biggest challenges that you have faced since joining the IOHK team? Uh, Making the day longer. It's just one of those things. Um, time is time is precious, and everybody's busy. That's probably one of the, the biggest challenges because the way the business is growing and how quickly everything moves, you know, can we have them tomorrow? But that's that's typical of, of, of any business that would ask of any 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 recruiter. I need them. I need them now. Okay. Well, we'll do the very best we can to get them get them to you as quickly as, as possible. So that's the, the the biggest challenge, really. There's no no getting around it. So we know we need people in 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 the business, but we're not going to hire just for the sake of hiring because that is detrimental. That can have such a bad effect. There's, there's no need. There's no point. Um, so that's the that's probably is the, the biggest challenge because when you've got a business of the size and the project's ongoing and everybody has needs at the same time, how do you prioritize whose need is more important than not? They're all important. Um, so you just have to work through it as, as fast as you possibly can. One of um, Cardano's um, main pillars is helping the unbanked migrate into the new financial stack of the new world. So we we spoke with John. Um, I'm not sure it was episode four, the early episodes of the Cardano Effect podcast. And we know that according to the Twitter, uh, um, Lars is over there in Africa right now with John, I believe. And they're working on a Haskell course uh, for Ethiopian and Ugandan students. So my question from a technical recruiting side, when Cardano is working in these areas that may not have as many resources or are servicing the unbanked population, what is your role as a technical recruiter? Are you communicating with certain regions or is that does that become global if you were to say, I'm going to take this um, developer from Ethiopia and bring them on to IOHK? How does that work? I'll be perfectly honest with you, at this moment in time, I couldn't, I couldn't give you a definitive answer. My focus is on the, the live roles that we've got and other initiatives, as you, as you discussed there, about helping build up knowledge and experience and people that could be brought into the business or into the ecosystem. I think generally part of it is about just helping as well and reaching out. You say that one of the, the, the goals is, is the developing nations and how Cardano can make a difference to those financial markets, but also wider than that, I mean, the supply chain market and the, the application blockchain technology. It's not going to happen overnight either, of course, because you can you can provide training to people, but once they finish the training, that doesn't make them a, an expert. There's there's other things that need to happen beyond there. And unfortunately, the way things are going at the moment, I'm I'm not 100% or even 1% involved in that, so I couldn't give you give you any more answers. I'm afraid. So, Dave, I have a question about where do you get the most successful applicants? Uh, do you find them on LinkedIn? Do they submit the resume on your website? Uh, do you do they knock on your door? How do you get them? Okay, so it's an interesting question. There's not actually one avenue that, that yields the, the best result. It depends on the type of type of role you're looking to fill, to be perfectly honest, honest with you. But obviously, we, we advertise on a website and promote that on all the social media channels as well, which, which leads to applicants. But for some instances, such as developers, say ask for developers, that tends to come from maybe referrals because they're in that ecosystem. They work together and someone joins IOHK and then they turn around and say, hey, there's a position here. I worked with in the past. Are you interested? So referrals are always a good one, but naturally you say, Promoting our jobs on social media, using some specialist job boards as well. And in reality, we have some some connection with specialized recruiters as well who who work do some work in the market for us and, and send us candidates to consider. So you never have to like use a headhunter to get people, or you got enough uh, talent pool coming in. There's been some that have been used in the past for, for some some niche roles. Um, that was probably in the, a bit more in the, in the early days, but we're moving the reliance upon. External agencies where we still have partnerships that we, we work with and value. Um, there, there are other avenues that we see. We, we pipeline, do some resource management and look at the pipeline and, and potential skills and profiles that we may, we may need down the line. So then obviously we can, we can come back to them and pick that up if that role does become live. That sounds good. Going on a completely different tangent, I'm not sure if 
Um, this question is is more of a personal question again. So in the community, there's in crypto community. I don't know how involved you are with the communities on like forums and on Twitter and on YouTube, but there's this whole meme that goes around in the cryptocurrency community when moon. You know, so I wanted to ask you, what's your moon vision for Cardano? That is an interesting one, and I, I do pay attention to the the groups. I look at them and. Facebook and YouTube and, and, and Twitter and I suppose Facebook's easier when you just pick up on your phone and have, have a little flick through but obviously the things on Reddit there as well. Um, yeah, define moon. Interesting one. Do you think anybody defined moon when, when Bitcoin started and then it got to where it got? You know, did, did they sit there and look and go where it's worth X amount of cents now? Oh, we're at a we're at a dollar, we're at ten dollars, we're at forty dollars, we're at a hundred dollars. Whose moon was that? That was somebody's moon at that point in time. And then obviously went on to get into the thousands, and I think the tipping point was what nineteen and a half thousand dollars a coin. Whose moon was that, or was that you know what, what expectation did someone have? It's a very very difficult one to actually put a put a figure on. Really don't don't know what where it could end up. I mean, it's strange watching Bitcoin go through where it's gone, and now it's obviously dipped dipped down, and talk about the whole market is is taking a hit. Um, so I don't think I can give you give you an answer. I just suppose if people are looking from an investment side of things, purely an investment, they're looking going, oh, moon's coming. But what does it mean to that individual? That's what I suppose what I'm what I'm saying at the end of the day. You know, we're, we're all very different. My moon could be a hundred dollars. I've got I've got some here that could say, well, a hundred dollars is my moon. I'd be quite happy with that. Someone else could be sitting at home going, well, when it hits a thousand dollars, that's when it's my moon. So it's it, it is a very personal one, and, and not, not one I can give you a, give you a definitive answer or answer for anybody else. Well, Dave, that's a great perspective because uh, if someone's moon was at eighteen thousand, that means someone else bought it at eighteen thousand. So their moon is a long way off. So the moon is relative. I like I like that answer. I learned from that. <laughs> that was good. Uh, and, and Philippe had mentioned earlier. You do see people. Um, I talk to people on Telegram a lot. And, and people are concerned with the bear market going down and saying, uh, they, they would ask questions like, is IOHK funded? Because there's other cryptos that were closing shop because of the bear market. They were closing up development because of the bear market. And I guess all the revenues depended on that. And IOHK is not having that problem. I mean, that's been well advertised already. You know, maybe a bear market, but I guess the business plan and management it must be really good because you're still hiring websites full of uh openings absolutely and if you look at the, the the roadmap as well it's you know we're, we're in the relatively early stages there's a five-year roadmap there and then i'm sure there'll be another one written written beyond that as we keep growing and, and building and evolving so we're not in this for for a quick book certainly you know, everybody's in the business we see the more there's the more the purpose of being part of ihk rather than oh we work for a crypto com- com- currency company we're going to make some some money and, and all the rest of it but there's obviously been a lot of cryptos that have come up, had an eye to raise a lot of funds. They've splashed the cash around the place. They haven't had a, a definitive business model. And then see the bear market hits and go, that's shut that door. We're all, we're all closed off now. We have a, we're looking at you know, sustainability and growth. So it's, it's, it's not a short-term plan or gain for us. No, it's not. So, uh, Philippe, do you have another question there? We're, we're, we're getting to the tail half of our, our segment, so I yeah. don't know if you wanted to move to the Reddit questions, and maybe we can run through those. Yeah, I'll go to the Reddit questions, because this uh, podcast has... Dave, you've been great. Uh, it's been moving along at a really good pace, and I, I got to tell you, I think you've answered more questions in such a short amount of time than anybody else. Usually, it's not this intense of a grilling, but... You're a real champ. You've been hanging yes. in there. Yes. Yes. This I'm is what I call, work, that's a good or a bad thing. It's good. You set the world record on the Cardano effect. We've gotten the most questions. Uh, yes, for sure. Yes. That's- we didn't mean to do that to you, but you're a champ. Okay, so <laughs> I'm on the Reddit questions. I'm going to read them from bottom to top because that order makes the most sense. Uh, some of them have been answered. Some of them are not answerable, but we'll get to those. Okay, sound good? Yeah, yeah, no, I'll give it a whirl. Okay, so the first one is from Reddit user Trade Feeds, and his question is, how long does it take to train a dev to develop on Cardano? Once someone is trained, who hires them, if anyone? So the first question there was, how long does it take to train a dev to develop on Cardano? 
I'll try and answer it as best I can, but there's, there's various different development areas within Quran. So one one question back from me is, we're talking just a Haskell developer, we're talking a Scala developer, we're talking someone who knows Rust, a JavaScript developer who's developing on the Deadless Wallet, which is still tied into Cardano. Um, it depends on their background. Is it a graduate that's coming in or is it someone that's cross-training, maybe they've got some functional programming experience and they're moving across, that they may pick it up a little bit, a little bit quicker. And again, once someone is, is trained who hires them, if anybody will, I'd have to understand a little bit more what they mean from that, that point of view. If, if you talk about some training programs that maybe they have for HK or care running. So you would have a dialogue with the manager who needs that person and say, okay, yeah, they meet the requirements to, you know, 80% of the requirements. So that's a good start maybe? Yeah, it does come down to it. It depends on the size of the team. If you've got a decent team size and you can, for want of a better term, you can absorb someone coming to the team where you can give them a bit of time and dedication to help them, that's that's going to make the biggest difference. As we mentioned earlier, no point hiring a grinder, sitting someone in a corner going, there you go. It doesn't add any value. It doesn't, it doesn't help at all. So it depends really on, on the individual at the time point. If someone's coming, if someone's trying to come from a, a, a an object-oriented background, say the new C-sharp or something, and then they go, I'm just going to go and learn Haskell. Can you give me a job? There's, there's obviously a bigger learning curve there, a whole mentality shift to, to understand functional programming language. But they may have other skills in there, and actually they, they want that part of the team. So it comes down to the individual. So I've answered it, but I don't think I've answered it. Oh, I, th- I think you've answered it because a lot of the questions that we see here and on the, on the forums is people are asking, you know, what do you need to learn? So the questions people have is, not how do you recruit me, but how do I understand Haskell so I can go do that kind of work? I think that's why we see a lot of that. And you being a technical recruiter, you're the closest guy we got to being able to answer that. So anything would be helpful. I, I also have a follow-up question to that. How daunting is it uh, for a new developer to come on the team? I know the project's open source. Is it constant communication with the manager in that part in that particular department to catch them up to speed or is it are there manuals being written and it's like here's your manual let's let um catch up and is it does it become harder and harder as the project progresses to get people on because they're so far back that they have so much material to catch up on yeah, it's an interesting question. And I suppose if you're looking at someone, and you're right, it's great. If you set a project team and we've got nothing in flight that time, you can bring the team together and you can discuss what the project's about and everybody gets off on the right foot and, and they start developing. But when a project's in flight and you're bringing, bringing someone else into it, it, it does have its own problems. But you have to make sure they're done right. And it's interesting you mentioned on there. I mean, we do have an onboarding process of call. Of course, we do have a lot of close interactions because while we're, we're remote, Mention is with the functions being grouped in relative time zones, we use Google Hangouts and Slack for, for strong communication. So we there's naturally daily stand-ups and meetings that go on. There's a lot of documentation available across the business as well, of course, but you have to do it right. There's no point hiring someone as good as they are. If they come in and you just go, right, off you go in the corner and they don't talk to anybody. For one, it's not going to add any value to the project, but it's not going to add any value or help that individual coming on either. So the whole uh, exercise becomes pointless. So when we bring someone into a project, yes, there's going to be a steep enough learning curve, as you mentioned, if the project's in flight and there's a lot of documentation there. We can provide them all the documentation. It's just going to take a little something in, in, in themselves to obviously be able to go through the documentation. We also have time to do that as well. You can't give them all the documentation. Well, have, a read of, have a read of those couple hundred pages and we'll catch up tomorrow about it because they're not going to get through and absorb it. But also, they're going to need to read the documentation and then probably talk to someone about it as well who's in the project. There may be areas just want a bit of clarification on a field to feel comfortable with. So you have to take that on board when you're, when you're hiring new people to come on and make sure the onboarding process is done, done properly and correct. All right. Thank you, Dave. And also thank you, Reddit user Trade Feeds, for that excellent question and Philippe's follow-up. Our, our next Reddit question is from user Adi2053. Some of this question has been touched on, but this is a very well-framed question, so I want to make sure that we have it captured correctly. Uh, What Audi2053 asks is that IOHK is planning to train 10,000 devs to program in Haskell and Plutus, which, of course, isn't easy to learn and master, emphasis on the word master. Learning Learning a programming, learning programming, and doing a responsible job, i.e. smart contracts, are two entirely different things. Good point. That is. 
Do you think, so here's where the question is, do you think the ecosystem has enough and qualified developers to write smart contracts and keep the ecosystem going? Or does the number not matter at this point? It's certainly a very interesting question. Um, you're looking at Haskell and smart contracts. Well, I think I can probably relate more to some of the conversation we had earlier. And take away Haskell, take away smart contracts. It's all about teaching someone a programming language. We talked about graduates coming in, they're learning, they're doing their own work, they're doing the coursework. They don't then just turn up to a, a company and, and be able to write the same level of code as obviously people with commercial longer longevity and commercial experience have. So there's always going to be a transition and time frame it takes for people to think they've learned something. And as, as the, 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 the user asked there, how to master it? Master it's just going to take a bit of, bit of time, but what is that time for, for one person? They could, they could feel they've mastered it in a year. Other people could feel after three years I've, I've mastered it. So we'll come back to the Haskell side of things and, and smart contracts, obviously very important to our, our business. And talk about the ecosystem. Well, obviously, we mentioned earlier, it's not just IOHK, there's Cardano Foundation and Emergo as well. There are going to be more initiatives like this and to, to grow and build our ecosystem and connect with people and ask what they want and what can we add, what features, what functions, and get them to play an active part in that. So I'm not given, I can't give a definitive answer on, on that one, but everything's got to start somewhere and it's got to build and it's got to build in the right way. And of course, we want to get it started and, and keep the momentum going behind it. There'll be an evolution of that as it, as it comes out. But I, I do, when I deal with people, someone, someone will say to me, and I have said to me, and I'll use the term master, they probably said I'm an expert, but I'm a master of blockchain. Okay. What's your definition of being a master? Everybody, yeah, that, again, we talk about the moon. It's what's your perception and our perception? Are they are they in sync, or is it just? Uh, it, it it's happened across years. Some people think they're uh, they're they're the best of the best, and they're not knocking them at all because a lot of people have been very good developers. But when you're lying to your, your own business and you go through a, through a, an interview process and you have technical screening and technical interviews and technical tests, we don't see. You know, it might be the end of it. You go well. You think you're a master, but unfortunately, we don't. So it's it's a very relative question. Unfortunately, that's the case for so many different fields. The people that think that they're the masters are usually the people that need the most improvement. I mean, it's just it, you can relay that to anything, whether it be sports or whether it be school or whether it be developing. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to add on to that, Rick, but um, I'm sure that's an issue. Yeah, uh, well, I would say an issue. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt there earlier, but what I was going to say is, so during the interview process, do you have do you have them write the code or show me the code? Because you know, uh, like uh, Professor Duncan Coots, he's like, you know, show me the evidence. So, do you have them provide evidence of code or proof of work? You know, they, they can actually code. Yeah, well, mentioned we're, we're, we're an open source business, so if anybody be involved in the open source community and they have examples of the work, the, the GitHub account that can that can send those. Of course, we're very interested in looking at those and, and running through them. But some of the roles we re, we recruit the the department heads have put together some technical tests, and it may be nothing too crazy now, or expect a week's worth of work or anything put into it. But there'll be a, a maybe a scenario set, some criteria around it. You know, can you? Can you write a little exercise? And then that exercise is reviewed and discussed because the thing with software engineering, there's no one way to do things. That's the thing. There's obviously multiple ways to, to, to achieve things, but it's understanding the mindset. Why did you do it that way? What was your thought process? Okay, so in our team, we do it this way. This is the reason why we think that. Well, okay, you've got an interesting idea there. Tell me more about it. There's got to be that, that dialogue goes there. There's not one size fits all. But there's got to be enough there in the backbone to understand the language and its its boundaries, you know, especially when you're evaluating things as well. We've talked, we've got Haskell, obviously, a big language in the business, but we our, our Rust team has increased in size as well. And Charles has openly gone out on, on social media and talked about this. Did I, did I make the right decision in choosing Haskell as a language or as Rust? And that's probably a conversation that will still go on a bit about which direction do we go forward in. Which one's the right one, and why is it right? Now, it, it invokes so many questions around it. Wow, that's amazing! So the engineering decisions are going to affect the recruiting decisions, and so on and so on. You, you know, nobody works in a vacuum. Yeah, but the, the, the fortunate thing as well, of course, we talk about those languages. Is if if you, if you know Haskell, you can probably learn Rust. Now, it's a question if you want to, and, and conversely, you go on the other. Because we do have people in the business who are very skilled in Haskell and Rust. 
Um, mentioned the example earlier, it's not like someone's coming from C sharp so an object oriented language and then going all of a sudden learn a functional language like Haskell. There's, there's a lot of concepts. I'm not saying it can't be done, but there's a lot of concepts to take on board and there's a longer time frame for that to happen. All right. So last question, um, and then we'll wrap up the episode here. This is from Reddit user Random Feedback. I love these usernames. Random Feedback asks, I understand that IOHK had to let go of their first round of Haskell contractors. The decision to be pragmatic seems to have a blessing and a curse at the same time. And I believe he's talking about the uh, the, the question here is referring to the Sarah Kell and IOHK parting, which was, it was a graceful shutdown. They parted ways in a graceful manner. It wasn't, uh, uh, not a biggie. And so the question that the user has is, I assume you evaluate, I assume you evaluate who to hire or contract. So how do you evaluate who would qualify for you to onboard as an employee or contractor? It seems to me the pool you have to draw from may be somewhat exhausted or are highly qualified Haskell developers coming to you? Interesting question. And, and some of what you're asking there was before my, my time within within the business, so I have no knowledge of, of it. So it would be wrong with me to even speculate around it. But with regards to, to hiring highly qualified Haskell developers, we still have people coming to us. We, we don't... I don't think we employ every Haskell developer in, in the world at the moment. Um, it was mentioned that we, we hire people and, and, and look for skills where they could cross-train as well. So there's people who have an understanding, maybe just want to learn Haskell, and they, they show an aptitude for it and we'll help them with that. I mean, across the business, well, we, we run into a Haskell training course. We send people on training Haskell training courses. Our QA team have been on a Haskell training course to get them up to speed on, on that side of things. Um, so there's still people coming, but, I mean, we mentioned earlier, technical direction of the of the business. Haskell's not going anywhere, but our other area is gonna to, to increase in size depending on what the project need is at that point in time. Is that technology suitable for that project? All right. Well, thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. I also would like to thank our Reddit users for their input. It's always very much appreciated. And before we start to wrap up here, uh, I want to remind people that this podcast is available on audio only on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes and Google Play Music. I've been putting it out as Google Play, but you have to specifically go to Google Play Music. And we're also now available on Radio Public and many different apps. So, uh, Philippe, do you have anything uh, you want to do to wrap? Uh, do you have anything you want to say before we wrap up here, sir? Yes. So thank you, everyone. Thank you to Reddit. Thank you for all the supporters. And don't forget to subscribe to this channel. We're getting a lot of viewers and just hit the subscribe link. It's going to increase our SEO ranking and allow for this podcast to get out to the masses for those that are just getting involved in cryptocurrency or want to learn more about the Cardano project. I wanted to thank David for giving us the opportunity to speak to him today. It was an honor. And David, we're wrapping this episode up. So if you wanted to have a final words, that's fine. If not, we're just going to end the episode. So thank you again, everyone. David, the floor is yours. Well, look, Rick and Philippe, thanks very much for inviting me on. It's been a, been a pleasure talking to you. Um, yes, of course, if anybody's interested in a, in a role with IOHK, our career site is there. Uh, careers portal is available. Also, you can connect with us on, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. So if you're interested in a position we'd like to discuss more, please do get in touch, send us your details, and we can try and, try and have a, a conversation about suitability. All right. Thank you, David. Bye, everyone. Thanks very much. Take care, guys.